Good morning. My name is Monty Rowland, and I want to spend a few minutes today talking about your process for doing design. There's a always a big push in any company to improve efficiency. So one of the areas that you can take a look at is how you do design. Now, there's a lot of ways that you can improve efficiency. You know, maybe you get faster laptops for your CAD system so people aren't waiting on a, a spinning cursor as much. Or maybe you do training and how to do better uh, finite element analysis so your analysis is better. Um, maybe you, you improve people's understanding of your process for working with your ERP system. And, and these are all ways that you can make your engineering and design department work better, faster, get better results. There's no doubt. But one of the things that really doesn't get hit on much is your process for your early stage development. So that early stage is often the point where you win or lose with your product. But at the same time, it's an area where we do the least amount of training in how to um, conduct the, your process in that early stage. And, that, and that's a bummer because if you end up working on the wrong product, then you can, it can really cost your company. So let's take a look at that. Let's think about where your time should go when you think about what product do I really want to design. When you're starting a project, you have this task of developing, you know, going, or let me say, instead of say developing, I'm going to say, you want to create a vision. And so that vision is going to be driven by inputs. It may be voice of customer. Uh, maybe you've got a product spec from product management. And you're bringing in all these things together and a lot of times, what you've done is you've taken this nebulous thing and you've thrown it on the desk of people that are often non-creative and not taught how to be creative. So let's, let's see, have your stereotypical engineer. As an engineer, we tend to think in a linear path. We want to think about specs. We want to think about you know, how, to, how does this connect or... How do we talk to this microprocessor? But in the early stages of the project, that's really not what's important. What's important is developing a vision for this product and taking the time to play. So I'm kind of mixing a couple of things here. One is the thought is that work is play. And I'm not going to dive too deeply in that. But the other is the thought of your process for doing this early stage work, this fuzzy front end work. So that process needs to involve some, some visualization of how things could be. And in order to do that, there's a need for contributors to, to be creative at some level. Now, what you may be thinking is that, well, we're going to hire an industrial design firm. They're going to do that for us. The downside of doing that, and I, 
and I ran an industrial design firm for a long time. So I'm definitely not against that. The downside though, is that you've got to get that industrial design firm up to speed. And no matter how good they are, they're still going to lack some of that internal knowledge. Now, on the other hand, they can bring a fresh perspective. So there's some, there's different pros and cons of, of pushing that outside. I'm going to argue that pushing that outside to industrial design firm is fine. But the other thing we need to be doing is to teach the people in the on the team that's designing this product how to be creative and, and give them a process that is not just CAD, not just writing firmware or software, but is much more a, a broader process. So some of the things that I do as part of my personal process, one is to do some research first thing. So when I get a new project and I'm, I'm being asked to look at, you know, kind of what could, conceptually could this look like? What, you know, and I'm asked to provide my input into that project. There's several things I do right off the bat. First thing is I look to see what's already out there. So we may, sometimes we may have competitive information already. We may have competitive teardowns. We may have other things. But one of the things I want to do is I want to look and see what's available. If it's something where I can go down the street and see it on store shelves, that's great. If not, a lot of times the internet is a great way to do searches. So what I'll do is I'll start and I'll create a couple of things. One thing is a style board and inspiration board. And so these boards can be broken down into some categories. So these categories include aesthetic inspiration or some sort of a mechanical inspiration or electrical, you know, these cool technologies we could roll in. Another possibility is to look at products that are already out there or products that maybe we could drag some portion of that essence of that product into our new product. And that's important, and that's where some of that innovation comes. You know, As an example, we were looking at a product and we were thinking about how do you, um, how do you modularize and then I saw this um, article about how one company is using hydrogen modules. So they're packaging hydrogen in basically gas in these tanks. And these tanks are, are styled, they're beautiful. And you put these modules in the back of your hydrogen powered car. And then that hydrogen powered car has these removable tanks basically. The company went a little farther and they made these tanks shippable. So if you have a hydrogen car but don't have a way to refuel it locally, well, they can ship you these in the mail or I guess by UPS or FedEx. And so you get these hydrogen tanks and then you plug them into your car and every tank is good for 80 miles. So you, you open the back of your car, you plug these tanks in, and now you've got, you know, 80, 60, how many ever miles of tanks? I think it holds four tanks altogether. So this is kind of a new way to rethink the hydrogen car. But at the same time, that was inspiration for something I was looking at because I'm like, okay, this is a, an extreme example of you know what a disposable could look like. In this case, this, these hydrogen tanks were beautiful. They were styled. They had these metallic accents. I mean, they just it looked like something out of a you know a 
some sci-fi movie. And But if you're paying for someone to ship you hydrogen, the container needs to be beautiful. A point where I saved that picture, saved that article, shared that with the team, said, hey, this is kind of cool. That was a way that me looking through my standard incoming emails of, of inspiration, saved that, passed it along to the team, and, and expanded kind of our vision and what this particular project could look like. So that's one thing I do is do those internet searches, look, read, look at reviews. You know, what are customer pain points? What are those things that could happen? Another thing I do is start making sketches. It's very easy to teach people to sketch. Now, some people can achieve a higher level than others, but it doesn't, you don't have to achieve a high level of sketching for it to be valuable. So when I go, going back to the internet searches, so when I look on the internet for inspiration, that's really wonderful. And, and that gives me this visual input and this reading input and, and reading customer reviews. But now with a sketch, I'm moving on to forming a prototype. So I'm going to argue that a prototype doesn't have to be physical. Doesn't have to be 3D printed or machined or, or, or a PCB with components. A prototype can be anything that allows you to look at your design and make decisions about it. So, so that sketch allows me to think, but it, it go through iterations that take maybe 30 seconds to 10 minutes. So you're sitting there thinking, well, my sketches aren't pretty. I'm like, that doesn't matter. Because what that sketch allows you to do is to turn something in your head into something more concrete. So now in one minute, let's say you're trying to figure out how you're going to plumb something. Well, maybe you make a sketch and you draw a circle for inlet here and outlet there. And you draw a square for I'm going to put electrical connector here. You draw a box. So now all of a sudden, your brain can better wrap around what you're trying to accomplish. So that prototyping is, is important. Now, those sketches then become part of the circle of iteration. One of the ways to look at that, that iterative path is to say, okay, first thing I want to do is I want to form preconceptions. I want to form a vision. I want to think about what this could look like. And then what I want to do is I want to prototype. That sketch could be one of your early prototypes, or maybe you make 10 sketches. You might make 100 sketches or 1,000 sketches in the process of coming up with your product. Those sketches are quick, fast, and inexpensive. If I go 3D print something, I've got to model it. I've got to get it in the printer, I've got to do whatever post-processing, I've got to attach it, build it up, and that takes hours or days. Instead, with a sketch, I can do that literally in seconds to minutes. So now, so I've formed a preconception, I've developed that vision, and then I've taken that and I've put that pen to paper. I've made that sketch. Sketch does not have to be pretty. Sketch just has to convey what's in your vision on the paper. And then I've taken that and I've looked at it. So I'm testing that. So when I look at that, I test that design, even though it's not something I can pick up or hold, but as an engineer or a designer, um, you're, you're testing your work next. That's the next step in that iteration. 
And then you look at the test. So you, you're testing in the case of your sketches to look at it. Does it make sense? And then what you do is that you say, okay, now what does this tell me? Is this product going to be hard to use? Is this product going to be, you know, what are the results of that test? And looking at that sketch, asking other people maybe as part of your testing. And then you look at those results and try to understand what, what those results are telling you. Then the next step is to form new preconceptions, form a new vision, make a new sketch. So this process could be over the entire product. It could be over a button on it. It could be, where does a valve go? It could be, where does a component go on a board? So there again, that process we wanna use is we wanna form preconceptions, form a vision. We wanna test, or excuse me, we wanna prototype. And then what we wanna do is we wanna test that prototype even by looking or talking about it. Throwing that sketch up on the wall is a valid way to test that. Then we wanna understand the results of our test, look at those results, form new preconceptions, make a new sketch. So this is part of that process that I use. So that, that could be developing an aesthetic look because we're gonna make sketches of that. That could be um, just figuring out a layout. It could be a schematic, but those hand sketches are quick. Now, one of the things I do and is that I'll take that hand sketch and I'll do it, I'll sketch over top of a digitizer. So that digitizer then saves that sketch and I can export it as an Illustrator file or I can export it as just a, um, a JPEG or a PNG file. And so instantly I can put that up on Miro or I can, which is an awesome tool, or I can put that in a directory and then I can have access to that later when I create my PowerPoint presentations. So as you, as you create this library of sketches, some of these sketches you'll end up dragging into a presentation to show to the whole group. And the reason why we put it in PowerPoint or we put it on Miro is so that we start organizing these thoughts and start saying, okay, here's, here's where this belongs, here's where that belongs. And that helps the group get a better grasp over what we're trying to accomplish. So then we start backing that up with analysis. Somewhere in that, we may want to create a spreadsheet that lays out some basic facts about what we think about this product. So a spreadsheet is analogous in this conversation to a sketch. So that spreadsheet is where we start saying, okay, I need, if I'm going to use this much of this and I'm going to use here's my inputs, here's my outputs, here's what I need to do with them from a 100,000 foot view. At this point, we're not worried about you know, what are specific materials or what are specific things. What we're worried about is what the customer sees, what, what are the inputs, what are the outputs. And so that spreadsheet then becomes another form of a prototype that's quick. Another advantage is you're documenting what you're thinking so that you can refer to it later or someone else in the team can refer to it later. Uh, maybe that, in that, like for example, I was just working on a spreadsheet where I was looking, okay, here's some inputs, here's some outputs. Okay, well now that I, 
I think I know how much I'm going to consume of this, then I know how much I can bring in to meet that need. Well, at this point, I know how big this container is going to be. So these are all things that I'm working through this process. And that helps me create this massing model of how big the product needs to be. So now what I can do is actually put some numbers to this and create a quick CAD model and say, okay, well, this product is part of this system. And now this is going to go and occupy this much space. So now all of a sudden, without creating a full-blown design, I've just got some rough pieces in 3D. I can start to fill out this vision and tell someone, okay, this is the box needs to be this big. We're going to use this much of this, this much power, this much. I haven't really done any super accurate analysis. I've just done some very broad analysis. So there again, I go through my cycle, form preconception. In this case, instead of a sketch, make a spreadsheet. The spreadsheet then I share, I look at, I test that. I say, okay, does this make sense? Is it too big? Does it meet the needs? A lot of times, too, as you do these things, you're going to start identifying gaps in your plan. So you realize, oh, I've got all these things, but I skipped this. So it's very much easy to fill in that gap at the spreadsheet level or the sketch level or even a rough massing model, CAD model level than it is to fill it in later when you realize you screwed up. So now it's not really a screw up. It's just you're, you get to the end of the project and you realize you don't have something. If you're about to ship something, that's a screw up. If you, at this point, you're identifying a gap and you're filling that gap. You really don't want to identify that gap later on. So what we're doing is we're starting to look at this product from this 100,000 foot level. And then what we're doing is we're diving deeper and deeper. But the beauty of doing it with spreadsheets and sketches and simplified CAD models is that if I need to go back to the 100,000 foot level and it changes everything, that's okay. And so that's something we need to be willing to do. So one way to look at this is that we want to create these quick prototypes. We want to create these quick prototypes. And then what we want to do is to use those prototypes to test and then evaluate. And so using these quick, simple tools, we can dig into this product and, and we can, but we can go back and forth. I may be looking at a sketch that has a detail that I'm curious about, maybe five parts I'm curious about in the bottom of this thing, because that determines something else at a higher level. But then I may go back and say, okay, maybe I need to add another feature here. Well, let's add it to the spreadsheet. What does that do to the size of my product? The, you know, how much inputs I need. That gives us the ability to do something very, very important, and that's called I'm going to call purposeful wandering. Purposeful wandering, where we gives ourselves the freedom to say, I'm being productive by dreaming or by going back to the 100,000-foot view. It's very easy, especially coming from an engineering view, to get focused on specs and performance and say, okay, that's 
well, we'll look at this other issue later. Well, the other issue you put off may be something that radically changes what you're doing. And if you don't look at it in the beginning because it's this big change, you'll never do it later. It's very, very important in the beginning of our project to give ourselves that ability and that, um, that mandate or that uh, expectation to do that purposeful wandering. We look at what we need and then this something hits us that hey, maybe we should look at this. We go back and look at that. Understand it might change everything. It might change nothing. It might make small change. But we have to give ourselves the freedom to do that. Working in these cycles gives you that pacing. Form of preconception, broad or very focused, you test that preconception or you prototype. Prototype that preconception. You test it. You look at the results of the test, form new preconceptions. So I think that's very, very important to have that flexibility. If you want to be world-class, you've got to have that flexibility to go back and say, okay, is there something that we should address here? And it may be that you go, hey, I looked at this. I dreamed again in a broad way, but nah, I think we're fine. Part of that due diligence of your project is actually doing that. And then... As you add more advanced tools, you slow down the rate of that exploration. So once we do detailed CAD models, then changing that CAD model is much slower than changing a sketch or creating a new sketch. But at the same time, we need to be going through that funnel. So we start out with a lot of ideas, we narrow them down. You know, it's, it's interesting that we look at that funnel, we see that funnel at, from a product management standpoint, everybody's used to it saying, okay, we have all these products and then we're going to, you know, pull products out and we're going to end up the ones we focus on. But a lot of times we don't do that when we think about a product. We get, we want to get very linear about it. We say, okay, here's what we need. Here's where we want to go. Don't get off the path. Instead, we need to do that purposeful wandering and get off the path occasionally because that may inform how to do a better job of staying on the path. That's part of that process I use in my work. And then also, I think that hopefully gives you a, this concept of this purposeful wandering and, and how, do we, how do we remain creative and flexible but stay focused on the goal? Because the goal is getting that product out there, getting the customer's hands and and selling it so we we've got to move towards that goal but sometimes the quickest way to get to that goal is to step away and do purposeful wandering and it also gives us a better product in the end so there's a time and place for this early stage work and then as we get beyond that then we have to get focused and that purposeful wandering may be very very small you know we may say hey this we've been using this pump for 20 years could we do something else? Do we even need a pump? So we're not, in this case, in my example I'm throwing out, I'm not re-architecting the product. I'm not even making big changes. I'm just thinking, hey, is there another way to accomplish this task within a project? So it may be that you may get halfway through a project and you may have to stop and get creative again, do some purposeful wandering, make a bunch of sketches because there's something that's not working well. And I think another part of my process that helps me overcome obstacles is the thought 
of, I want to challenge the assumptions. So as we move into that detail, more detailed work, one of the things we run into is get to those points where we go, hey, this is not working. What we're trying to do is not getting us there. There's some impediment, maybe technological, it may be that we just worked ourselves in a corner somehow. And at that point, we have to challenge the assumptions. And so that's kind of a, a skill all on its own and maybe something for another podcast, but that's part of this process as well. And challenging the assumptions is a lever that we use, open up purposeful wandering, open up the creativity, and then end up with a better product. So I hope this is helpful. I hope maybe I've inspired just a little bit of how to better your process when it comes to design and think about that creative aspect as part of your engineering process. Because as an engineer, you can learn to be creative. The tendency here is when I talk about creativity, everybody thinks about aesthetics and this type of stuff. I'm not thinking about creativity in that way. I'm thinking about creativity in how you do your engineering, how you do this detailed design or this upfront design. So this creativity, some people are very apt with it from a natural talent standpoint, and some people had to develop it. Even people that are very creative to begin with end up developing that creativity. It's a skill you can develop even if you started life with very little. As natural gift, you can develop what you do have, that kernel of creativity that's inside everybody, and improve your engineering. It's not something you hear every day, but I think it's something that is really important in how we improve our our engineering and design and new product development process. So I'll leave you with those thoughts. This is Monty Rowland signing off.